Recovery on the Road is a podcast about people sharing their recovery experiences from drugs and alcohol, trauma, and grief. My name is Heidi. I'm an alcoholic. As a backdrop, this podcast is based on interviews while I'm on the road across America's national parks, from Acadia in Maine to Glacier in Montana, all the way over to the Everglades in Florida. My hope is that what is shared will benefit you in your recovery. Hello, thank you for listening. This is Heidi with Recovery on the Road. I appreciate you listening with us today. I have with me Scott, and we're in Walnut Creek, California. And thank you very much, Scott, for um, you being willing to share with us today. Could you please introduce yourself? I am Scott, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, this is a, a pre- honor and a privilege to uh, be able to talk to you today about recovery because uh, uh, that's my life today. Wouldn't uh, I would not be alive today if it were not for uh, the recovery programs? I uh, I drank for a total of 34 years, and uh, the first seven years I had a lot of fun. It was no consequences and. Uh, it was just uh, um, joy, laughter, and uh, I have to remind myself that that was the first seven years because the other 27 were um, uncomfortable and consequences and uh, uh, led me to uh, becoming uh, unemployable for about uh, the last two years of my drinking, and I just totally isolated to the point where uh, the only people I talked to for those two years were pretty much uh, uh, liquor store clerks and fast food uh, uh, restaurant uh, people that took my money and took my order. And uh, that was a, a, a very uh, lonely existence that I found myself in and I couldn't find any way out of it. It just seemed like every time I turned around, there I was and there was nothing I could do. I, and I don't believe that... Um, I don't know. Anyway, fortunes were in my favor. God was on my side, whatever, because uh, my wife, my brother, and an old friend of mine uh, intervened with me on my behalf because I had not been returning their messages or phone calls or anything for quite some time. And uh, so um, they just uh, picked a day, a random day, and came to... uh, uh, find out what was up with me, and it happened to be the day that I was done. I yeah. My alcohol wasn't working for me anymore. I'd been drinking all day, and I wasn't getting drunk, and I wasn't getting relief, and I was just feeling lost. They showed up. And uh, uh, the, odd, uh, the upshot was that uh, the next morning they took me to a detox and left me there for a couple of days. And uh, they came, picked me up at the detox and took me up to a drug and alcohol rehab and put me in there for 28 days. And that was about the the most afraid that I'd ever been in my life, the most desperate I'd ever been in my life, that as soon as they walked out and drove away and left me in that rehab. And uh, I I just didn't, uh, I I just thought this is the end. uh, Things can't get uh, any worse than this. And uh, I was 50 years old that day, or that time. And uh, I I tried to isolate there, but they wouldn't let me. 
and uh, they, I had to go to meetings. I, I was forced to go to meals and that sort of thing, and I actually got healthy within the t first 10 days there because I was actually eating food again, and uh, I didn't want to associate with people, but they just locked the bunk rooms after everybody left, so I couldn't go back. And uh, so I ended up having to talk to my fellow residents in the uh, uh, treatment center. And uh, uh, the first thing that surprised me about them was that uh, I had a lot in common with them and I thought I was unique. However, not only did I have stuff in common with them, but they were saying things out loud that I wouldn't even think loud, you know? And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, you, 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 you talked about your feelings and, and, and things like that, how and you profound. said it out loud. Yeah, how profound, right? And Yeah, and I, I, I was uncomfortable at first, but after my first 28 days in, in, the, uh, alcohol, uh, in the rehab, I was, I was talking to the other people, I was engaged, I was actually getting back into a social uh, atmosphere in my life, which I hadn't been for a long time. And... Uh, um, and one of the counselors uh, took me aside and suggested that I stay another 28 days because he didn't feel that I was in a good position to be uh, released at that time. And if I could afford it, he would appreciate, he would think it would be a good idea for me. So I checked my finances and I found I could. So I, uh, I stayed for another 28 days at the rehab and, and taking that suggestion and uh, staying there was, uh, I think, a pivotal time because I got uh, so much more comfortable in, in the beginnings of my new life by saying that extra 28 days. I became more uh, social, more involved, and more actually in service at the treatment center. I was welcoming the people that were just coming through the door mm. and um, uh, doing a lot of the chores around the place and things like that. And uh, a fellow came in one day, and he was a uh, uh, outreach rep for a clean and sober houses here in Walnut Creek. And he asked anyone that was getting out, uh, would would they like to talk to him about the situation? So I talked to him for a while, and uh, that sounded like a great <clears throat> thing for me because that my fear was that I would isolate again because uh, I didn't, if I got out of my environment, my safe environment at the uh, rehab. So I signed up for that, and I moved from directly from the uh, uh, rehab uh, right into a clean and sober yeah, house sober over house. in Walnut Creek, you Wonderful. Know, without stop. And uh, so you really uh, heeded the suggestions. You really I, listened. I never followed him before in my life, but all of a sudden I was following suggestions, and, and damn, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so you, in a sense, you hit your bottom. Yeah, when your family I, I, came, I hit. I was at bottom when they showed up. Uh, so any what, other what day. was your what was your uh, your profession at the time? Uh, well, uh, I'd been unemployable for two years. Prior to that, I was in the maritime industry. I oh, worked okay. on tugboats and oil barges and things like that until. Um, I kept failing uh, random drug and alcohol tests, which were mandatory, mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't pass them. So that left me uh, unemployable, and uh, once I was unemployable, I just isolated. And after, when while you were in the sober house, were were you seeking employment? Yes, as a matter of fact, in the first, uh, I got in there in November first. 
And by January, I had gotten a full-time job. However, I had gotten some DUIs, so I didn't have a driver's license and I didn't have a vehicle. So I had to uh, walk half an hour to the train station to take a train. And then from the train station, I had to take a bus to get to where I worked and Good then walk you. half a mile Good to work. Isn't that the, the free, as our um, topic today was freedom. Yeah. You know, that, and, and you had the freedom to be a, a good citizen yeah. and, and responsible. And I thought one of the worst things that ever happened to me in my life was losing my driver's license, losing my means of transportation. And in that first three months or so that I was uh, working, and uh, I found that I got a sponsor and we were working the steps, and he suggested I memorize the third step prayer. And uh, I said, I don't really have time for that. You know, I'm working and everything. And he goes, what do you do in the morning? And I said, well, I leave and I walk for a half an hour. I left at about five in the morning. It was dark, it was quiet. And I had a half an hour work to the train station. He said, there you go. So for the next several months, I worked on memorizing the third step prayer on my long, lonely walks to work. And uh, and all of a sudden I found myself grateful for the opportunity to walk to work as opposed to a a 10 minute drive. And, and, it, and that actually uh, brought the third step into focus for me because I was struggling with it, or I was afraid of the fourth step, one or the other, anyway. Can you summarize the third step a little bit? What, what is that? Well, uh, it's uh, turning, uh, making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand Him. Okay. And uh, So a higher power, whatever that any, would be for... Yeah. You know the listeners. Any power greater than me. For me, at the beginning, it was nature. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I adored and believed in nature, so I used that mm-hmm. as my higher power because that's what I believed in, and I could find some direction. Yeah, I found that I could have faith, which I developed in this program, without having to define faith in what. Who, yeah, yeah. Where? Yeah, good for you. You know, and it was just a faith that things will be okay. There you go. As long as I do what, what's in front of me and do the best I can at it. And uh, so I, I didn't, uh, and I talked to a lot of people in, in recovery, and a lot of them don't have a, uh, a fixed visual of their higher power. Their higher power is just in something nebulous that they, that they believe belief doesn't really uh, require any kind of a uh, physical justification it's just there the non-tangible yeah yeah and uh, so yeah this my life from then everything uh, things have gone so well and I, I had rough spots and I had this and that but um, nothing that shook my faith and nothing that sh- that caused me to want to take a drink again or anything like that. I got different jobs. I got better jobs. I uh, uh, got a, a, a company I was working for. We completed our contract, and they actually suggested that they wanted me to work for them some more, but the next job opportunity was in Dallas, Texas. Would I consider moving? So I said, yes. 
I, I took that and I moved to Dallas for a while. And so you got some courage. I, I was af- <laughs> I was afraid, but I, I things had worked out so well so far. Yeah. I figured, why not? Good for you. Yeah. And then with the same company, I moved up to Seattle. I worked with them in Seattle, and uh, uh, then another job opened in Dallas. So 2010, I found myself back in Dallas working for the same company again, and it was uh, uh, late June, early July in, in 2010, and. Uh, I heard about the uh, uh, AA International Convention was in San Antonio, right down the highway from wow, me. that's cool. So I uh, asked So my you mom, were traveling and maintaining your recovery and... Uh, first thing I did when I moved was find a meeting, Good even before yeah, I found yeah. a gas station or a grocery store. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I went to the International in San Antonio, and uh, that was an eye-opener. That was an experience that uh, I've never been able to adequately explain it to people and just suggest that if you have any kind of, if you ever have an opportunity, it's every five years, uh, next year it'll be in Detroit, go. Because, yeah, back uh, home uh, there was a bunch of women that were like, road trip, you know, they was like, let's go. Yeah, I I went alone, but I, I... I found myself in this convention center and uh, the Friday night and Saturday night meetings were in the Alamo Dome with about 30,000 people in recovery in this huge domed stadium and it would get silent when the speaker spoke and before they spoke and after and that many people silent is impressive and uh a lot of head shaking, right? A lot of noise. Yeah, and 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 before the speakers and everything, uh, we did things like had to wave. And, oh, I love <laughs> and it! Throwing beach like the, balls the around. Seven and, and, yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the stretch, but yes, I yeah. I understand. Yeah. And uh, and I walked around town because there were meetings in some of the uh, hotels in the in the vicinity of the convention hall. So I got to walk around. Everybody was walking around town, and they had police, all kinds of police, just handling the traffic and the pedestrian and vehicular traffic. And, you know, for those cops, that's like the shittiest job in the world, and they don't want to be there. These cops were smiling and laughing at oh. us. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's the amazing. only uh, frowns I saw were the people that ran bars and liquor stores. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. You know, these are... Th- stories that bring tears to my eyes and it's the it's the understanding of one another and it's the holding holding each other up as well as accountable Mm -hmm. you know we we do check in on one another and and you said you were originally from new jersey i can hear a little bit of that accent (laughs) left over (laughs) damn i'm trying to get rid of it (laughs) (laughs) that's like me every once in a while i'll 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 get tired and when i talk you know i'll drop my r's Oh, okay. You know, as uh, the the Massachusetts, you know, we have that wicked, mm-hmm. per, uh, wicked uh, accent dropping our R's, like yeah. when I'm tired, and yeah. So, and when I went to um, Rome, and I hit a couple of the English speaking meetings, and that identification and the head nodding, and mm-hmm. you know, the same readings and the same literature, and and that's what I found through the years of of my recovery, um, that, that welcoming spirit mm-hmm. that we find. And well, it's the identification, too. Yeah. We all can identify. Yeah. And here, you know, I noticed people, um, 
really encourage the newcomer, people that have the 10 days and, mm-hmm. and you know, the 30 days or the people coming back, you know, where we know it's important for them to feel welcome and feel that support and that love. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we don't, well, we really try not to ever stigmatize anyone that we recognize from before and now they've raised their hand for their, in their first 30 days, you know, it's a, it's no stigma, it's just welcome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a beautiful thing. I, I'm, I'm really grateful that I've been able to share recovery with people here. And, and that's, a, that's a tremendous gift that you've got to, for you and for you to share. That's, that's tremendous what you're doing, yeah. It's, um, it's, but, you know, I met people in, um, in Idaho just at a, an antique um, store and, we just got chit-chatting, and, and um, like, you know, oh, I'm from Massachusetts, and I heard an accent with the gentleman, and he was from Maine, and mm-hmm. he and his wife um, are in recovery together. They're professional truck drivers, and, <laughs> and I, like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, let's go out to lunch. You know, would you be interested in sharing your story um, on my podcast? Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, people really want to share their experience and, and their strength, and, they, you know, because when we get here we've hit rock bottom we've yeah. gone through that pain and and you know we call you know uncle is that the expression mm-hmm. um and you know i appreciate you being here with with me and with us today is there anything in in closing that you'd like to share uh, mainly what i found uh, that uh, for me today is being of service is what keeps me uh in touch with the program and uh it doesn't matter, well, it doesn't matter where I'm in service, if it's inside the rooms here or if it's just out in the community. But uh, anything I can do to uh, quiet my head yeah, it works. Yeah, good for you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Recovery on the Road. And my website is ontherightroad.org. And I'm also on social media, Facebook and Instagram, and you'll see uh, daily posts and photos and pictures of where I've been um, from the East Coast to the West Coast and back. So thank you for listening. And if you could, go to Spotify or iTunes podcast, Apple podcast, and give me a review. I'd appreciate that. So thank you for listening and peace, my friends.